the enthusiasm of the newborn. <laughs> you know, in the old days, Christians were called enthusiasts. But there's a sense that should never leave us. It shouldn't be a characteristic of one newborn, right? I'd like to invite you to turn with me this morning to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Put a bookmark there and then turn to 2 Peter chapter 1. I'd like to talk to you this morning on the topic of self-control. In praise of self-control. You know, we sang a song this morning, and in that song was embedded the phrase, saved from the tyrant of self and sin. You ever think of yourself as a tyrant? I mean, if you're a believer here today, surely you know something of that. I do, personally speaking. You know how often I feel like self-control is the leash that's holding back the dog. You know, maybe you've seen in your neighborhood, I see from time to time, a skinny little girl walking a big dog or something, and and you wonder who's walking who, right? (laughs) I mean, that leash is stretched tight and she's holding back for all she's worth. Sometimes we feel like ourselves are like that, self-control. Right, holding back on that leash. But lest we get the idea that the Christian is at some disadvantage that way, you know, the Holy Spirit never met a self he couldn't deal with. (laughs) And the only way you're ever going to gain control of yourself is by the power of the Holy Spirit. Otherwise, it won't happen. We heard it this morning. What did Laura say? She said, The harder I tried, the harder it got. To me, that's saying she just didn't have it. You can't control yourself without the Holy Spirit. Well, I'd like to borrow from a phrase in 1 Corinthians 9. And at the very end of of the chapter, Paul's talking about this athlete in verse 25 that's competing in the games. It says, he exercises self-control in all things. I'd like to borrow that phrase. Exercises self-control in all things. Then, out of 2 Peter chapter 1, we find another phrase I'd like to borrow from. Verse 5, Applying all diligence in your faith. Some versions say, add to your faith. And at the very end of chapter six, uh, verse 6, add to your faith self-control. And I'd like to borrow that phrase this morning. Add to your faith self-control and self-control in all things. Well, at first, I'd like to divide it up maybe this way. First, the necessity of self-control. It's necessary. Self needs to be mastered. It's got to be controlled. Second, the lack of self-control in several instances of it in the Bible 
And then lastly, the source of it, the source of self-control, and we've alluded to that already a little bit. But first, the necessity of self-control. Tozer says, self is one of the toughest plants that grows in the garden. Just when we think that it's dead, it pops up somewhere else as strong as ever. Self has got to be mastered. The necessity of self-control. Jesus summoned the crowd and His disciples to Himself. And He said to them, If anyone wishes to come after Me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross and follow Me. Right? Deny himself. Someone said, if you'll not carry the cross, you won't wear the crown. That's the same way of saying, a different way of saying the same thing. Many different places in the Bible. Romans 6, do not let sin reign in your mortal body. That's what we're talking about. You know, our redemption is complete in the sense, if you're a believer in Christ Jesus, that heaven is your future home. That's sure, that's sealed, that's the atonement. But still, we can't argue with, with the notion, with the fact that we're in bodies here. Yet, Romans talks about we groan, waiting for the, adopt, the redemption of our bodies, right? So here we are in a body, and what is this body? At least speaking for myself, it is the vehicle for the most temptation I ever face, myself. You know, it's not the guy on the job that I got to worry about giving me a hard time and causing me to sin. It's myself. It's the enemy within. I'm my biggest enemy. And many of you, I see her nodding, you feel the same thing. You can sympathize with me on that. But do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey, you obey its lusts. You see the emphasis there? Me obeying my body. It's human responsibility I'm talking about in the form of self-control. You know, Paul said to Felix, he preached to Felix, right, in Acts 24. What did he preach to him about? Righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come. So here you have righteousness on one side, Judgment to come on the other side, and right in the middle of that was self-control, and it caused Felix to tremble. It's necessary. Self-control is necessary for the negative and the positive in Scripture. It's necessary for the advance and the restraint. It's necessary to flee and to pursue. Self-control. You know, sometimes self-control is the break, and sometimes it's the throttle. You see, we hold ourselves back and then you get a correction and you go in the right direction. Both take self-control. It's necessary. Timothy chapter 2, Titus chapter 2, I'm sorry, says instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires. That's the negative. But he goes on to say the positive. Live sensibly righteously and godly in this present age. There's the throttle. So we got the positive and the negative. That Romans 6 verse, do not go on presenting the members of your body as 
to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. That's the negative. But the positive, do present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments to righteousness unto God. That's the positive again. The necessity of self-control. The word abstain in the Greek means to hold oneself off. It appears in 1 Thessalonians 4, abstain from immorality. 1 Thessalonians 5, abstain from every form or every appearance of evil. 1 Peter 2, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. There's that word, holding yourself off. Abstaining. Our text here in 2 Peter, applying all diligence, add to your faith. It's not easy, is it? It takes diligent, diligent effort. Add to your faith, self-control. And it goes on to say later on in that verse, he who lacks these qualities is blind. Now blind is a term you won't find used for a Christian in the Bible, so far as I know. Blind is a lost man. It's necessary. It goes on to say later on in 2 Peter 1, the entrance into the eternal kingdom in this way will be granted unto you. I'm not preaching a works gospel here, but I am trying to get across to you the necessity of self-denial and self-control. In our 1 Corinthians 9 text there, the Apostle talks about, well, let's just read some of it. In verse 25, he says, Everyone who competes in the games, exercises self-control in all things, and they do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. Therefore I run in such a way as not without aim, I box in such a way as not beating the air, but I beat my body and make it my slave, so that after I've preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. That's a pretty strong text right there. This is the Apostle, the missionary. The Apostle Paul saying, I beat my body and I make it my slave so that I don't preach to everyone else and then I become disqualified. And We we might tend to to move over that word too quickly and take the teeth out of it. The possibility he's saying here, I could preach to everyone else and lose myself. Now I'm not talking about Uh, losing salvation, I'm talking about it being proven out in the end, you never had it to begin with. I discipline my body. And all of this is is in context of the following chapter. It flows seamlessly into the very next chapter in which you find a whole chapter full of warnings. One of which is, whoever thinks he stands, take heed lest he fall. So we're talking about self-control. You know, the strenuous self-control of these athletes. It, it, it shames me whenever, I'm, whenever I am weak and flabby as a Christian. I mean, what they put themselves through in order to gain some glory, moments glory in a, a gold medal that if you bought it on the market might be worth $300. How many years of their lives have they given for that thing? I mean, Michael Phelps spent five hours a day in the pool. Think of it. And then the lack of self-control. 
It's all over the media. So think of that. It's necessary. But it doesn't come naturally, that's for sure. There's a battle there. He says, I beat my body and I make it my slave. Literally, that means I give myself a black eye. Now, in my earlier days, I used to dabble in boxing a little bit. It was one of the many idols and distractions in my life. And I, I dished out a few black eyes and I took a few black eyes. But one thing I'll say is I never gave myself one. <laughs> I mean, there were always other people that were willing to accommodate me there. <laughs> I didn't have to. But here the Apostle is saying, I beat my body and I make it my slave. I mean, your body is like fire. It makes an excellent servant, but it makes a terrible master. That's the reality of it. Give it an inch, it'll take a mile. So the question really is, who's going to be in charge? My body or my spirit under the authority of Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit? You know, Brother Merle, he said, all the flesh wants is another piece of pie. He's got a way of stating the thing so simply, doesn't he? And that's the, that's the truth. Sometimes... We're going to find ourselves, aren't my own self anyway. Like it's like a wild beast. You got to take the whip in hand. It's not there to pet. It's there to cage. There was an English nonconformist in the early 1800s, John Angle James, and he said, "Self is the most subtle, the most stubborn, the most tenacious foe with which grace has to contend." You know, sometimes we get. There's one, one particular area of our life, oftentimes I think, that it's hard to bring into control. It's like the ship's boat in Acts 27. All hands were on deck and they could scarcely get it under control. You ever feel like that sometimes? I know I do. Some things have to go as a Christian. and What we can't discard completely, we've got to pare down. It requires self-control. So we're talking about the necessity of self-control. Self-control is necessary for a position of eldership. It's in the requirement passages in the Bible for elders. Titus 1, sensible, just, devout, self-controlled. It's got to be there. 1 Timothy 3, above reproach, temperate, self-controlled. Now, what I don't want to imply here is that I've got it all under control. There are a multitude of situations where you could say to me, physician, heal thyself. But nonetheless, it's in the Bible and we need to, to look at it and learn from it, right? Self-control is necessary for victory in the individual Christian experience. Not just the pastor or the elder of the church, but individuals. You've got to have self-control if you're going to gain victory and walk in victory. And the converse of that is the, the most the people you see walking around down in the doldrums the most are the people that are lacking victory, lacking self-control. They're not walking in the Spirit. Individual. 
Christian experience. <clears throat> Titus 2 talks about older men, older women, younger women, and younger men. And in every one of those scenarios, self-control fits into the requirements, the, the exhortations given to those groups. It might be translated different. It might be sober in one version and temperate in another. But if you look, the, if you look those words up, it is self-control for all of those different groups of people. <clears throat> Urge the young men, for instance, to be sensible. Well, the root word for that is sound in mind, self-controlled. Urge the young men to be that. So you have the young people. There's an, there's an urgency to be self-controlled. The sooner we learn that lesson, the better. I, I wished I could have learned it sooner. More self-control. It seems to be a common danger to young people. A foolish lack of restraint. You know, unrestrained indulgence and love of pleasure, it's like Elisha's two she-bears that came down out of the woods. The Bible says it destroyed the youths. You have that sense. In our culture, I do. Proverbs 16 it's a sobering proverb. He who rules his spirit is better than he who captures a city. Just simply ruling your spirit. Victory over yourself. You're better than if you had victory on the battlefield. What a thing. That's no small thing. You know, it's stated Alexander the Great, he conquered the whole known world in his time. But in a drunken brawl, he killed his best friend and lifesaver, Cleotus, in a drunken brawl. Oh, for some self-control. Again, Proverbs 25 and verse 28, Like a city that is broken into and without walls is a man who has no control over his spirit. Incredibly vulnerable. Well, let's talk for a minute about the lack of self-control. 2 Timothy 3 talks about perilous times coming and it lists a whole, uh, several verses of characteristics of those times. And in those lists, in that list of characteristics, men will be lovers of self without self-control. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. There's a lot of love going on there, but it's not toward God. It's toward self and pleasure. Characteristic of the times, doesn't it sound familiar? goes on to say they were holding to a form of godliness. Now you've got a little bit of religion in the mix. Laura was talking about that. A little bit of religion, but what's lacking there? Power. Power over self. comes to the top all the time. There's no power in it. It's a form, merely a form of godliness. Lack of self-control. <clears throat> Jesus said the Pharisees were clean on the outside, but inside they were full of self-indulgence. Religion, no self-control. Think about it in regard to our many appetites. The many appetites we have as Christians in this body to deal with. Self-control in all things, we read there in 1 Corinthians 9. We have sleep. Self-control in sleep. Who would think anything about that? But you ever seen a young person sleep? It's like they could sleep themselves to death. 
if you could do it. Proverbs says, do not love sleep or you'll become poor. You know, Jesus came three times in Matthew 26 to find the disciples sleeping. And the last time that He came, it said He marveled at them. Are you still sleeping? What should they have been doing? They should have been praying. Why? Because the Spirit's willing, but your flesh is weak. So there's sleep. What about food? Esau sold his birthright for a, a bowl of soup. Oh, for some self-control. You know those Jennings ladies down there in Sedalia, they are the masters of making soup. And if anyone would be tempted to sell their birthright for a bowl of soup, <laughs> I don't know, it might be in that case. But here Esau, I mean, it's appetite. He sold his birthright. Philippians 3 says, those whose God is their belly. Appetite. Romans 16, such men are slaves, not of our Lord Jesus Christ, but of their appetites. The appetites of our bodies. But Jesus, on the other hand, 40 days He was hungry, but yet He refused to turn stones into bread. Our Lord is always the example. Deuteronomy 21 and verse 20 in regard to the rebellious son that gets drugged before the elders and eventually stoned. What was it that was said about him? He will not obey us. He's a glutton and a drunkard. The appetites. Who's, who's running the show? And that word there, the glutton, literally it means a riotous eater. I thought all teenage boys were that. <laughs> riotous eaters but gluttony. Proverbs 25.16, Have you found honey? Eat only what you need. Otherwise, you'll have it in excess and vomit it. It's a lack of self-control. My daughter worked for a horse farmer in a horse farm there in Illinois before we moved here. And one time his horse got out of the stall and got into the feed bin. You that know anything about horses, he ate himself to death. That seems like a good example. Food is an appetite. Drink is an appetite. Noah, drunk in his tent and naked. Ham comes in and sees him and makes fun of him. And what's the result? When Noah hears about it, he curses the son of Ham, Canaan. And what comes from Canaan? The Canaanites. The Canaanites were so vile that the Lord said the land was going to spew them all out. It can be traced back to that curse, Noah on the son of Ham for some self-control there. The Moabites and the Ammonites, they were vicious enemies of Israel. But you know you can trace them back all the way back to the place where Lot got drunk and committed incest. Self-control. It's pitiful, isn't it? Here is the appetite of sensual gratification, immorality, lusts, the lust of the eyes, etc., 1 Corinthians 7 says lack of self-control is a reason to get married. And not only that, the lack of self-control is a reason for the normalcy of relations in marriage. Self-control. It's stated in Exodus 32 whenever Moses came down from the, from the mountain. 
the Israelites were out of control because Aaron let them get out of control. So there it is. David, because of his lack of self-control, what happened there? Adultery and then murder. And then not only that, the curse of God. It stated the sword never left the house of David because of that. Oh, for some self-control. But then the opposite, you have Joseph and Potiphar's wife. She came on so strong, she grabbed hold of his garment. And what did he do? He peeled it off and fled. He was the literal fulfillment of 2 Timothy 2.22, flee youthful lusts. It's the only way to deal with them sometimes. There it is, self-control. It made you want to stand up and cheer when you read it, doesn't it? I mean, he got out of there. He, there was victory in that. Victory. Don't you, Man, we need to get an appetite for victory. Is what we need. We've got to do away with the walking around in defeat. Victory in the Spirit. Samson, he had three indiscretions with Philistine women. And how did it leave him? Blind, shackled, and grinding in the prison. Don't let it be you. The prodigal son, loose living and harlots, there went all of his inheritance. Found himself alone and penniless and eaten in the pig pen with the same thing the pigs were eating. Don't let it happen to you. Add to your faith self-control. That's the admonition. We have an appetite for recognition. I, I know as a pastor that's a particular appetite. We want to be recognized by our peers. Tozier says the desire to be held in esteem by our fellow men is universal. I don't know if you've ever felt it, but in all honesty, I have. We want to be recognized in certain circles. But the warning of Proverbs 25 is, do not claim honor in the presence of a king and do not stand in the place of great men. Hezekiah, he flaunted his treasures. And what happened? He lost his sons to the king of Babylon. You can ring about, read about it in 2 Kings 20. Joseph, he flaunted his dreams of superiority. What happened to him? He wound up a slave. Well, for some self-control. 2 Chronicles 35 gives the story about good king Josiah. But what did he do? He meddled in a conflict between Egypt and Assyria for no good reason, apparently, just to gain some notoriety out of it. But with fair warning from the king of Egypt, he still entered into the battle and he wound up meeting with an archer's arrow. It was his death. He should have stayed out. Here you have Asahel pursuing Abner in that clash there in Second Samuel 2. Abner, the king of the army, and Asahel pursuing him, was warned by Abner, turn back, he said, take one of the young men and they're spoiled. But he, he wanted some notoriety. He had to go for the top man. And he wouldn't hear of it. How did it wind up with him? He took the butt end of a spear all the way run through for some self-control. But yet Jesus... He refused the third temptation to cast himself off of the pinnacle of the temple. It would have meant instant notoriety. Self-control. The Pharisees, they wanted respectful greetings in the marketplace, right? 
It takes a measure of self-control to choose the low seat. What about our speech? James 3, if any man offends not in word, he is, what, a perfect man. He's able to bridle that whole body and bring it under control. Our speech is sure an area we need self-control in, isn't it? Speaking for myself, I know it is. Proverbs says, do not be hasty. You see a man who's hasty in his words, it says. There's more hope for a fool than him. Restraint in speech. Judges 11 talks about Jephthah's rash vow. I mean, what was he thinking? Oh, for some restraint there. Where there are many words, transgression is unavoidable. But he who restrains his lips is wise. Peter denied Jesus and cursed. Job, at least he knew when to shut up. He said, what can I reply to you? And he put his hand on his mouth. And then, again, our Lord, how beautiful it was to see Him answer Him not a word in the middle of His trial. So much so, the Bible says, Pilate marveled at Him. There it is. When you see self-controlled speech, self-control in the matter of, of your speech, it's a marvel sometimes to see it, isn't it? What a thing. What about anger? In the case of Cain, the Lord said, sin is crouching at the door and you must master it. Here Amnon violated his half-sister Tamar. There's the lack of self-control right there. And Absalom killed him for it, murdered him. What about self-control in that mess? He who is slow to anger is better than the mighty. Proverbs 16.32 Moses killed the Egyptian 40 years out in the wilderness of Midian away from the throne of Pharaoh. And then later, Moses struck the rock in anger. And he wound up again in the wilderness within sight of the promised land. Revenge. Saul hurls his spirit, David and Jonathan. But yet David, on the other hand, he spares Saul twice on two occasions when he had him right in his grasp. Even his own men were telling him, take his life. The Lord has delivered your enemy into your hand. But he restrained himself and didn't do it. It's a marvel that he didn't do it. Think of it. If he would have killed Saul in that moment, David was already anointed by Samuel to be king. It could have put the end to all of that. I don't know how many years he wandered around being chased like that. But he restrained himself. But then in the very next chapter, in the case of Nabal, a simple insult, and David and his men strap on their sword. There's not going to be a man left alive by sundown in the house of Nabal, except for the intervention of Abigail, for some self-restraint, right? <clears throat> Peter pulls out his sword, and off comes the ear of the servant to the high priest. But... A lot of times I have to confess my words are like Peter's sword. They're drawn out in haste and they're just as sharp. We need self-control. Well, it seems like everything has been kind of negative, kind of heavy on the, on the human responsibility for self-control. But the final exhortation, where does it come from? What's the source? 
I mean, it's like a you wonder how you could ever stand. Who can stand? But the source of self-control is it's supernatural. What I'm talking about is supernatural self-control, not like the world's got. You know, any guy will give up cigarettes if the doctor tells him, you don't quit, you're going to be on oxygen. Any guy will quit drinking if he thinks he's going to need a liver transplant. At least most guys will. A guy will quit beating his wife if he thinks the good woman is going to leave him. But that's the world. That's not what I'm talking about there. I'm talking about self-control that for no other reason than love of God I give this up. If I think Jesus will be pleased with me, I'll be done with it. That self-control that pleases God, that comes from the Holy Spirit, it's supernatural. Laura was talking earlier. She couldn't, she couldn't do it on her own. She tried to re be religious. It's the power of the Holy Spirit that's missing, isn't it? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, etc. But at the end of that list, self-control. It is a fruit. The Holy Spirit bears it in the life of the believer. He's the source of it. Our Second Peter text talks about His divine power granting everything we need for life and godliness. And then right after that, add to your faith, self-control. He grants it. Everything. Well, that Galatians 5 section in which the fruit of the Spirit are listed there, verse 16 says, Walk by the Spirit and you'll not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. That's it right there in a nutshell, isn't it? If we want to walk in victory, we have to walk in the Spirit. It's the only way that we can not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. There was a guy named... Staffordshire Bill. I don't know, some of you might, that name might be familiar if you've read the little book, um, In Memory of Sandfields. And uh, Beth and Lloyd Jones gives that, the accounting of his conversion. But he was a man <clears throat> who had such a foul mouth that he would sit in the bar and everyone would go sit on the other side of the bar because even his worldly friends were disgusted by his mouth. And God came in and saved him. He was miraculously converted. But he, he didn't instantly gain victory over that sin of the foul mouth. In fact, he would say something and then it would, he would realize it right after he said it and he'd feel terrible and it was a real source of defeat for him. Until one time in the, in the course of getting ready, he couldn't find his socks and he blurted out something to his wife in the, in the next room, I can't find my so-and-so socks. Where are the such and such things? And then it dawned on him what he had just said. And he fell backwards on the bed. And he cried out. He said, Lord, cleanse my tongue. He said, Oh Lord, I can't even ask for a pair of socks without swearing. Lord, please have mercy on me and cleanse my tongue. And from that moment on, the Spirit came on him and he walked in victory over that. That's the kind of supernatural victory I'm talking about. Gaining victory over your own body and over your own appetites and the things that the sin that so easily besets us, how can you lay aside that weight? It's an easily besetting sin. You can't do it apart from the Spirit, can we? It's the power of the Holy Spirit. Well, one encouraging thing to know, generally speaking, the more mature we get, the more self controlled we get. Generally speaking, it's a sign of maturity, I think. 
if these qualities are yours and are increasing there in Second Peter 1. Increasing self-control. We see Peter early on, he was unrestrained and impulsive, but then later he was saying, add to your faith, self-control. And Jesus, he was patient with him, wasn't he? He said, when you're turned, strengthen your brethren on the time whenever he was ready to deny him. Well, self-controlled, the self-controlled life, it's pleasing and glorifying to God. We need to be more resolved, I think, to exhibit that fruit, that fruit of self-control. And His Spirit is the source of it. God's got to be pleased and happy with anything that His Spirit is the source of in us. But the self-controlled life is not only pleasing and glorifying to God, but it's, it's a remarkable distinction from the worldling. Everywhere in the world, you come up against people that don't have self-control. And so if you as a professing believer, your profession known to those around you, be they workmates or whoever, are a controlled, possessed person that way, it's glorifying and honoring to God and it's a distinction from the world, isn't it? They're surprised, First Peter says, that you don't run with them into the same excesses. Well, lastly, what happens when we lose self-control? You throw in the towel... Give up? What happens when you have a weak time and you lose self-control? Well, we don't run away from God. We run to Him. The devil will tell you that's it. You just blew it for the 15th time. You might as well throw the whole thing in and run from God. But we've got to run to Him and not away. Confess it. I mean, it's the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, that cleanses us from all our sin, right? Confess it. Ask for more of the Spirit whose fruit is self-control. That's really the issue. More of the Spirit of God in me. And then resolve. Resolve again to, do, to go on in victory. I'll not live a defeated life. You don't have to. Why do we settle? We wonder. Why do we settle? Resolve to go on in victory. Gain self-control. With all diligence, add to your faith self-control. Well, amen.